live. <laughs> Get it? What a time to be alive. What's up, everybody? You are watching, listening, or have on in the background Bible and banter with not Luke. It is Mike Alex again and me, Eric. What's up, Mike? Yo. I want to change Bible and banter to Wednesdays whenever you're on so that we can just start off with Mike, 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 Mike. Guess what <laughs> day it is. I'm so excited about that potential for this. Do you ever get tired of that? Only when I come on here because this is the only time I hear it from you. Really? <laughs> uh, so it's, I don't know. It's been a few years since anybody has done that. Well, yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, once I get like a hold of something, I have really hard time letting it go. Um, right. So I'll probably never stop. Never, ever. Ever. <laughs> so not Can't until we almost that. No, that's a song. Uh, what song is that? Is it Miley Cyrus or something? I don't know. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Miley Cyrus partaker. I I don't believe you. I think you're just saying that publicly so you don't feel shame. The only Miley Cyrus song that I can that I will admit that I actually like. Well, first off, I only like it. I don't like any others. It, and I, it's probably because it's the only one that I really know is uh, uh Party in the USA, man. I think that that should be uh that should be like, you know, right up there with all the other patriotic songs. Born yeah. in the USA? I mean, it has nothing on Party in the USA. Yeah. No, it's not. You know, that's not Miley Cyrus. I don't know what it is. Then uh, I was gonna say Young Guns. Black, I was gonna say the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, Young Guns can't stop, won't stop. Yeah, um, BEP. By the way, most one of the most overrated bands in the early two thousands. <laughs> so, uh, so what's new, Mike? Oh, just trying to plug along in different ministry things. Uh, I was talking with talking with you earlier about church management software and things of that nature and interpersonal conflict and such. But and 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 to kind of give you a window into what ministry is like, trying to decide how to respond to a a, a couple that wants to get married but are living together. That is a challenge. Yeah. But it could be worse. Could be worse. Could be that they don't want to get married. It's true. true. See, see. Yeah. And this, uh, it's true. Always silver lining. Always. Yeah. Silver lining. You know what? Twenty twenty. You know what it's done for us? It has had to turn. It has turned us into perpetual optimists. I think <laughs> we've had we've had to get hardened, dig deep, and really change our outlook on life. Because if you are a pessimist or a cynic. And you live through 2020. Um, poof. Yeah, it's been rough because I find myself to be one of those, one of those individuals. So it's it's been rough. Yeah. Mm. Well, Mike, uh, we actually have a pretty exciting announcement um, that uh, pretty much nobody's going to be excited about except for you, myself. <laughs> so I'm trying to pull it up in my calendar. Oh, snap. Maybe I didn't write it in my calendar. Um, so April 13th, Tuesday, April 13th at 1 p.m. We will have a very special guest, someone who I am a huge fan of, 
as well as Matt Rice. When I told him we we're going to have this guy on, he was pretty excited. Did he giggle uh, in accept glee? No, no one has responded with giggling, giggling glee quite like I had imagined. So, um, and I guess part of it, like I thought this guy was more popular than that than he really is because he's only got like maybe two thousand followers on Twitter, which isn't all you know in the grand scheme of big evangelicalism isn't you know a big fit you know that's not a big fish but i think um you know we're gonna look 20 years back and he will you know been an important christian thinker but we will have um recent recently finished his phd we will have dr paul c maxwell so you can go follow him on the twitter um you can probably just look him up and, and google him he is uh he just finished his phd uh from ted's the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, um, studying under one of the one of the best modern thinkers I think within evangelicalism, which is Kevin Van Hooser. Um, so he studied under him, and his dissertation was on trauma and doctrine, um, how um, Calvinism, New Calvinism, Calvinism in particular, um, has the potential to exacerbate trauma victims. So, um, you know, you and I share in, in his doctrinal convictions and with Calvinism. So I think it's a very important book. It's also very expensive. It's like $130 because it's an academic book. Do you think he'd be willing to uh, come on here and get people that like and share it to give them like a discounted copy? I, I don't know that he can do that because I think it's out of his, uh, out of his you know, uh, like – that's probably in his publisher's hands. Yeah. To be honest with you. you don't think he has any any uh, free copies to do what he wants with? If he had free copies, he's probably not giving it to us. True. Let's put it that way. But he is. Um, you can look him up. He has. He talks about a lot of good um, theological and uh, psychological stuff. Um, he, very, very good guy. So uh, I'm looking forward to having him on. I emailed him last week and he responded fairly quickly and mm. was like, yeah, I'd love to come on the show. Let's do it closer to the launch of my new website. So he's actually launching a website and he'll probably talk about it when he comes on the show, but, um, his website, he's actually kind of, if you think of like the early church model or the, or like the first century Jewish rabbis, they typically took people under their wing and taught them. So it wasn't like a, you went off to seminary to learn. Mm -hmm. You studied under one particular person, which is kind of like how PhD programs work. Um, so he's, he's designing courses on a myriad of things mm -hmm. and he's training people in those areas. So I'm pretty excited for it. I've signed up. So. As, as soon as you said, he, graduated from or finished his phd with ted immediately my mind went to like ted talks and i'm like, <laughs> I'm like hmm <laughs> some of those have been pretty good but i didn't know they had a had a, a phd program no, no. well ted's is like you know a top seminary man i mean that's a that's a very good seminary Whatever. that's what I mean, that's what I mean, carson's at well is just um kevin van hooser what's that anything other than gordon conwell is kind of like cakewalky not not real. Yeah, Gordon Conwell Gordon Conwell kind of starting to <laughs> starting to delve into the wokeism, man. Uh, but that's a whole nother story. So that's not the topic for today's conversation. So you can check that out on April 13th, 1 p.m. I'm super stoked for it. Um, I think he'll probably be one of the best guests we've had. He also has a really awesome beard. So um yeah. Is that gonna start is that gonna be facial hair as like a requirement? At some point, 
Yeah, you're not allowed to come on the show unless you have facial hair. So, which narrows our our potential guest down. No. So, uh, yeah. Touche, Bickford. They did let me graduate, and it was by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> I knew that was coming too, especially from a Westminster grad. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Paul Maxwell is also a Westminster grad. Um, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So he actually had a really good – I was listening to him. It was like a two-hour conversation. He was on some guy's show last week, and he was talking about um, the difficulties with confessionalism, which Westminster is a confessional school. Mm-hmm. And um, in light of some recent conversations we've had about confessionalism and the positive, um, it, it was good to hear some of the negative sides too. Mm-hmm. So it was good. It was really good. Um, so that's kind of what's new with me. Uh, awesome. Yeah, Thank you for doing yeah. that. Thank you for sticking your neck out there and potentially being rejected, but it ended up working out. Well done. I've not, I've not yet said no. I have another guy who I want to reach out to. I was just talking with somebody else about it. He has about the same amount of Twitter followers. So maybe, maybe I'm having luck with like these, you know, like they're really smart people, but they're not like widely, widely known, but yeah. he's written probably the best biography on Herman Bovink. And, and I'm just enthralled with Bovink now after reading it and, mm-hmm. So if you so haven't written Bob, get to he's it. The flavor, he's the flavor of the week for you? Yeah, but usually the flavors of the week last longer than a week. They usually last years. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess the flavor of the decade. I don't know. Um, but he's a good follow. He's he's a really good uh, good scholar. Yeah. So, um, Mike, let's go to the headlines, man. <laughs> First headline, Mike. County to pay $250,000 to advertise lack of funds. <laughs> if that doesn't sound like church ministry, I don't know what it is. What is. <laughs> um, <laughs> here, here's one that's really funny, especially in light of our new requirement about having facial hair as a guest. Chick accuses some of her male colleagues of sexism. <laughs> Only some, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but I think I think her name is actually her last name is Chick, but it still makes the headline really funny. Whoever made the headline, and that's not satire. No, this is not satire. None of this is that, satire. That was not a satire headline. Uh huh. Um, here's another huh. one: bugs flying around with wings are flying bugs. <laughs> Self-evident. Some okay, people be really, really hurting for clicks. I will. I'll end with this one, and this one is is particularly funny because I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine who's a local ADA, and he was telling me in the county that I live in because he's an ADA in another county. Just like the di- the disparity between different counties of where I live, like how the, how justice is meted out. And he mm. said, like in my County, uh, like DUIs or nothing, like, like judges don't care about DUIs. Like unless you get like six, seven DUIs, like you're probably just gonna get mm. not even a slap on the wrist. So this headline is man eats underwear to beat breathalyzer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, that's dedication, man. You yeah. really, you really not want to get that DUI. Man, the bars uh, need to like start <laughs> setting up bowls <laughs> of underwear rather than peanuts. <laughs> uh, is that the purpose of peanuts at bars? I don't know. I don't frequent bars quite like you, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not good to drink on an empty stomach. So you kind of put something out there to kind of help detoxify. Goodness. 
I pretzels, you, maybe pretzels. I've heard of like turning your underwear inside out, you know, like in case it's dirty, you know, so you get another fresh clean of pair of underwear. Um, it's a common practice in the military. Um, I'm not saying that I've done it, but I might have. But eating your own underwear, that sounds a bit extreme. So so we support our military so poorly that they have to reuse underwear between washes. Oh, listen, man, <laughs> sometimes some, you know, sometimes you're in a place that you can't get your clothes washed. It's true. If I mean, if you're out hunting some terrorist in the, you know, in the mountains of Afghanistan, you don't always have a wash, a place to wash your undies. I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can get four uses out of them inside four? out, front, back. Man, I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's not a bad idea. You should. You should join the military. <laughs> That's going to be the reversible underwear is going to be my first thing on my uh, fruit of the fig underwear line. Fruit, 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 of the fig leaf. fruit of the fig leaf. I like that one. You come up that come up with that by yourself. Yep. Huh. Yeah, I'm impressed, man. Copyright. All right. Copyright. Trademark. Um, so before we get into our topic, man, anything else you want to talk about? Anything else interesting? No, I pretty lead a pretty uninteresting life, so nope. You haven't shot any recent videos of your wife after surgery? Nope. Nope, not not recently. Okay. Nope. Nope. All right. Cool. Well, let's get into it, man. We are going to talk about disciples and discipleship. And I'm going to lean on you pretty hard on on this topic. You've been a pastor for like three, four times longer than I have. So mm -hmm. um, so I expect that you've really figured this stuff out. I think I'm pretty sure I said in the text message that I stink at discipleship. So therefore, I'm the perfect one to, to let you do all the talking. Like, and But this time, give you a reason to do all the talking. Yeah. And you just take it for yourself. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me why. Uh, so I find it interesting that you say that you stink at discipleship. Now um, you're also, you're a self-proclaimed cynic or pessimist. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you might be a little bit more self-critical and might be a little bit harder on yourself than, than maybe your church or those people around you uh, would, would mm -hmm. be. So, so why do you say you stink at discipleship? I, I guess because of I guess where we could start is how would we define discipleship? What is discipleship in the midst of the church? Yeah, for so example, that's really okay. For for example, um, <laughs> uh, Meredith's comment. <laughs> <laughs> we should have brought Meredith on, although I don't think she meets the new requirement of having facial hair. That could be the subtitle: Bible and banter: colon I stink at dot dot dot. <laughs> um, but uh. So, so as a pastor for ACGC, we have to do end year, end of the year reports and check in with Big Brother about how many pastoral visits and stuff we, we do, and make sure we're uh, living up to other people's standards. But, um, uh, you know, one of those is how many, <laughs> how many? <laughs> uh, you accountability. I get it. We need accountability. I'm not. You're laughing at the same thing. I'm laughing. That's good. <laughs> But one of the things is, like, they have Sunday school classes, Bible studies, small groups, discipleship. Yeah, what are you doing for all these? Or, and so my comment in, in the discipleship thing is everything we do is discipleship, full stop. 
So you're the one. So you're probably one of the people that when Justin reads all the reports, he just like rolls his eyes. Probably. Although I did have, I did, I did put something like, how can we be of better service or something? I put in a comment and I immediately got a response from our, our head guy there, Steve, which I really appreciated. Um, uh-huh. Even though my question was, a l- he probably didn't realize this was a little bit more like I knew they wouldn't have an answer for it because it's really based on where you live. It had to do with like pastoral taxes and, and stuff uh-huh. like that. Uh, uh-huh. And health insurance and stuff like that. There's not so much they can do at ACGC level, but I, sometimes I like to just fling a, a thing in there to see if they're listening and they are. Can we agree that maybe the most difficult part of being a pastor is figuring out your taxes? It stresses me out every year, every year, man. Oh my God. Every year. Yeah. Um, I don't even real like Robin over the weekend was telling me that, you know, she's, she's like, Oh, you seem stressed out. Is it because this is it because of that? And I just had the realization it might be because I realized that we have to get our taxes done here soon. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, I love and hate the housing allowance, but anyway, yeah. and, but back to discipleship. <laughs> no, I will say like, <laughs> instead of us complaining about like, uh, but you know, I, you know, you brought up the ministerial reports, I think, that we have to do for ACGC, and this has nothing to do with our topic for today, but I do find it interesting because I think that those reports could be uh, improved, like how they're laid out. Because like like every year when I look at it, I go, oh, these things kind of like we're using kind of outdated categories, you know, for some of these things or, you know, it could be this, it could be that. And then I'm like, man, are people going to judge me because I put a zero here? But really, I'm putting everything over here and all this and that. And it's like. In that sense, it is kind of stressful because you don't know, like it's kind of, you know, anyway, yeah, Meredith watching, so she might take note and, you know, talk to, and, talk and to here's you. the reality is I'm not type A and my church doesn't necessarily expect me to be type A. So when you ask how many pastoral calls did you do this year, I'm not sure I can answer that accurately because I'm not writing them all down. I'm not keeping track. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of give a gauge of how many I might do it, but then what does a pastoral call include like am i picking up the phone am i sending an email am i physically visiting somebody and and all that jazz and so there's just some questions so or text uh, message like text. i like with some yeah. folks in my church i just text them and they much prefer text i much prefer text because like if i'm home i have no issue like texting with someone but i really don't want to be on the phone um while i'm at home because i got so mm-hmm. much noise in the background Plus, at least I can fake that I'm paying attention to, to my kids when sure. I'm home and, and texting. Whereas when I'm on the phone, I got to tell them, hey, knucklehead, keep it down. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So, so how did, so yeah, I mean, how do we, how do we gauge that? And I think we, cause we don't really have a uniform standard. I think part of that is like kind of an age gap, like, or mm-hmm. generational gap where, you know, someone who's probably been a pastor for 40 years looks at a text message and go, that's not a pastoral call, but like, I think my, I try and put myself in, in like my congregations um, in, in, in like their shoes. I'm like, man, I don't want a phone call. I'd rather just a text message or an email, you know, yeah. like as long as it's not a grumpy email. Cause I can never really understand the tone of an email. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 True debt. True debt. So um, no Bigford, we're not complaining. We're just pointing something out. So Mike was demonstrating. He, he only got to this because he was saying, listen, I'm awful at discipleship. And so um, my question is like it, define discipleship. What what yeah. is discipleship? Because that's a that can be depending on who you're talking to a broad category. So if you uh, if you define discipleship as you know preaching exegetically 
and trying to give as many opportunities as you can to raise people up in the knowledge of God's word and, and edifying ways, then we are, I think, personally, as long as people take advantage of it, doing decent at discipleship. Mm-hmm. But there are probably other areas of discipleship that I and even our church are weak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think there are probably a few. One, I think you got to look at the broad category and say, like, what is discipleship in theory? Like, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, so what is it? Um, and then you look at, uh, so you could say, like, the function, right? So, what's the function of of discipleship? Then, what's the form of discipleship? I think there are multiple forms, right? So, or mm-hmm. modes or methods. So, there's different things, right? So, you and I would agree, preaching is part of discipleship. Meeting one on one is part of discipleship. You know, all, there are all these layers, what I like to call discipleship layers, where um, it's not just one thing, right? So, if you're, so if you, if you're a a uh, someone in a church. If you're a church member and the only discipleship you receive is when you come to church on Sunday, and even then you're probably only only at church three times a month versus, you know, coming four times a month, then you're really going to be anemic, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're going to be like the, you can't, you can't eat one meal a week. So why would you, why would you be able to partake in, you know, in the discipleship process just once a week? It doesn't make any sense. So um, so part of it is like your personal responsibility, right? And that's, you know, that's prayer. That's, that's a spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, Bible study. I actually wrote an article probably a month ago on, on the different layers of like how you can read your Bible. And like, so Bible study, Bible reading, there's different ways to do that. Um, fasting can be part of that tithing in, in all these other disciplines. Those are, those are important. Um, critical, I think. So you have your own personal responsibility, but I think there's the communal responsibility as well, where um, part of my responsibility before even being a pastor, but as being a Christian is to disciple other Christians, right? So uh, now you and I, we um, have the calling to be paid to to help, um, as Paul says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we have a particular calling there, but we still have a general calling in making disciples in our everyday life. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually love this quote, man, from, have you read The Vine Project? No, I have one of their books, The Trellis and the Vine. I think that may yeah. have been their starter book, but I have not opened it up yet. Yeah, so when I read Trellis and the Vine, um, which I have right here, this this book was really good. And, but it left me with more questions than answers. And I think a lot of people that read that felt the same way. So they wrote a follow-up, which gives more answers than questions. It's really, really good. And actually how can you build a process? Yeah. Hey, props on them because sometimes people write books that they know they're just begging more questions, but the, but then answers, but then they do nothing about it. They're like, I, I'm just here to get the question, the conversation started. And these are two Australian guys, and I really appreciate their perspective. And they're like, in the beginning of the book, they're like, hey, so our bad about the last book. Like, we know it was really helpful for a lot of people, but um, we didn't give enough answers. We thought we were clear, but clearly we were not. So um, I love their step. Is their first step of discipleship to give up your guns? No. No. And that would never happen here in America. Um, so their definition for discipleship is this, a disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. Say it again. I think that bears repeating a forgiven sinner 
who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. So I think, um, so that kind of gives us the broad category. I love their definition. And I think I actually used their definition in, um, in my first kind of little booklet. Um, I, I didn't mean it as a plug, but I, I mean, I, I find a lot of value in, in that because mm-hmm. really, really being a disciple of Christ is learning who Christ is. And as you learn who Christ is, you're also repenting of your sin and you're trusting in him in faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also see throughout the new Testament that there's a call to like, like we see this in Paul, right? He, he tells us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. He calls us, uh, he tells us that we are to learn these things and put on these things. Um, and what are these things? It's the gospel. It's learning the gospel. And how do we learn the gospel by learning God's word? So I, as I envision discipleship, um, I actually think like, you know how in school, there's usually, depending on who you talk to, there's like four or six core subjects in school, right? So do you know what they are, Mike? Um, arithmetic, literature, gym, and lunch. And this is why you guys send your kids to pagan school. Um, so <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so we have, so you, <laughs> you have. <laughs> no, that's why I, I'm from pagan school. And just, I have never worked myself out of that paradigm. <laughs> it's someone else's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> so you've got you've got math, you've got history, you've got social studies, and you've got English. Yeah. Right. So those are the four core subjects. And um, so when I think of like we as the church, as the people of God, and I try and think of like what is um, what are the core subjects that we should be discipling people in? Right. So what, if you think of, if you think of like the outcome, so, so when you're trying to plan something, you're trying to see like what the end goal is and you try and work backwards. Mm-hmm. So like when I think of like, we are preparing people for the process of um, being a forgiven sinner and learning Christ uh, through faith and repentance. Right. So, so how does, so how do we work backwards from that? So I actually started developing um, five core subjects because we're not pagan school, man. We are, you know, we are, we're the real stuff here. Um, Cause why not try to make it your own? Hey, <laughs> no, listen, man. So, so if uh, I, I know you saw this cause I saw that you liked it on, on the Facebook, but like, I, I, I was listening to um, James Eglinton, the author of, of Herman Bavink's critical biography, and he was saying how Bavink and Kuiper, Abraham Kuiper, how they really yeah. established the, the foundations for the Dutch um, education system mm-hmm. because uh, the Dutch were coming out of like a non-secular society. It was like you pretty much the state told you what religion was acceptable. And, and uh, so – Bavink came out of like a of the seceder movement where they were essentially underground reformed churches in the Netherlands that separated, um, but also established their own schools. So this is back in the back in the 1800s and the early 1800s, where um, these reformed folks were establishing their own illegal schools. Uh, because back then it wasn't like a legal mandate for you to go to school, but they thought education was important, but they wanted to not have the the state. 
influence the education of their kids. They wanted to catechize them. So, so that's why they established on the school. Well, to this day, you can, you now have school choice to go to any school you want to. Um, and it could be a Hindu school, a Muslim school, a Christian school, whatever it is, um, so that you can get the education that, that you feel is right for your kids. Oh, I, I love, when I saw that, I'm like, I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah, um, totally. I feel like that would never fly right now because of the abuse of separation of church and state. Whereas I think what the separation of church and state would bring that on and just say, yeah, you can send your kids anywhere, but we are going to equally fund anywhere they want to go. Right. And that would be, that would be within the realm of separation. Of church. So the separation, for, yeah. if you know the history of separation of church and state, it's at the state, right? So um, the, the folks who came over here in the early days of our country left places where the state dictated what religion you could practice. That's the purpose of separation of church and state, that the state would not have a preferred religion or endorse one religion exactly. over another. So exactly. there is no reason why we can't under that, under those auspices, um, you know, establish schools based on, uh, and really it comes down to worldview, not just religion, but worldview. So anyway, that's, that wasn't part of today's show, but it's free. It's a, it's a freebie. It's a freebie. Yeah. 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 You can tip us later. So here are my four core subjects. Okay, Mike. And I would, okay. I welcome critique because I have not, I'm working through this. I'm not settled. This is just kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking through. Right. So here are five things and they're not in any particular order. Hard skills. So if you think of the hard scientists or sciences, I'm thinking hard skills for the Christian. And under those hard skills, I have how to study the Bible, how to pray, how to evangelize, and how to serve. So hard skills is one core subject. The next is systematic theology. And systematic theology and the next one, which is apologetics, I think go hand in hand. And then biblical studies and church history. So the reason I think um, these are so important, Mike, is that I... In one hand, lo I, I, I love, but I grieve when I hear deconversion stories, like people who, who leave the faith and they talk about why they left the faith. And nine times out of 10, it's not every single one, but nine times out of 10, I hear their reasoning and I go, dude, all you needed was to open up like the most simple systematic theology. And it has all the answers that you're looking for. And I'm not even like I'm talking, you know, R.C. Sproul's Everyone's a Theologian or like J.I. Packer's Concise Theology. That's that's literally only a couple hundred pages. It's written on the on the lay level. You can sit down and if you want to read it all at once, you could. Mm -hmm. um, they're very simple. And I think that we have um, really just kind of pushed away from teaching uh, these very important things. Uh, particularly systematic theology and apologetics to our people, because we we have inculcated this sense of all you need is Jesus faith, mm -hmm. and, and, which is true, but like uh, you don't need any depth, right? There, there, it, it's almost like we have divested ourselves of the intellectualism that is actually found in the Christian faith. We have a long history of intellectualism in the faith, and we've rejected it for like lowering the bar to the point of like, ah, oh, man, like what is, I, hmm. I don't know. So, so I think these are important. Yeah. So you bring up deconversion stories and I always go back and forth on those because I, I, sometimes I feel I get the sense when I'm reading those, that people are more critical of the church than they need to be. It's a, it's an unfair game 
being played. But I will agree with you that a lot of those stories are are a failure in some respect, whether it's a failure on the individual to put themselves in a place to be discipled or a failure of their church to offer discipleship opportunities. Um, and I think those are very different things. We can say, oh, I'm not being discipled, but then you have a church that's willing to disciple you, but you're instead playing sports every Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever, rather than you know coming to youth group or participating in the church community. Um, but whenever I, I, most of the deconversion stories I've heard lately, and I think apologetics and systematic theology, but just being discipled in general, where, where you're asking questions and struggling through things uh, with another believer and another, you know, and, and a community. Uh, the one thing that has always stuck out to me is we, we've got, and I feel this even in myself, is we've got people who are out in the world with a world that does not think biblically. Mm-hmm. And because they're not thinking biblically, they don't understand where you're coming from and immediately think you're a bigot or this, that, or the other thing. Where we need to help people realize that they can love different types of people who are engaged in sin, still mm-hmm. be friends with them, still be coworkers with them, still employ them or, or whatever, to, to a great degree and still be faithful to, to Jesus. And I think a lot of these, like I take the Joshua Harris issue and how he deconverted. And it's because he went on an apology tour uh, for his, his book and, and realized he doesn't like feeling crappy for things he said in the, in the past. And people kind of t- took him to task in some ways, rightly so. But again, here comes the relational piece. Jesus makes relationships better, but also more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the the stances he calls us to. No, absolutely. Well, we've already had some really great questions, man, and people pushing, not even pushing back, just asking questions. So um, Josh and Nathaniel actually ask, ask essentially the same question, right? Which is, are you saying that I need Jesus and theology to be saved? Um, and Nathaniel asks, can you have Jesus without theology? Well, here's the thing, right? So, um, so the answer is, uh, so the answer is yes, you can be saved without having, without learning systematic theology. However, when you make the statement of all you need is Jesus, you've already begun to theolo- the- theologize, right? So you've already made a theological statement. So you're all, everybody is a theologian. It's just your choice whether or not you want to be a good theologian or a poor theologian. So um, theology doesn't get you saved. There are a ton of people who are great theologians um, or have been great theologians and deconverted. Like, like head knowledge does not save you. However, it does give you confidence, right? So like when somebody does ask the difficult questions or inevitably, like for Christian, you should be asking the difficult questions. You should ask the hard questions, right? And, and when you ask the hard questions, what you're recognizing uh, isn't like you're not pushing back against God. What you're looking what you're saying is God has the answers. Now, let me investigate with what he says. Right. And that's really how we start doing theology is by asking, what does God say about this? And um, so I, I think that theology is something that is incredibly important for us to know so that we can have the confidence not only in ourselves, but then when somebody asks like, you know, a question that could be really complicated, we have the tools to answer. It's a witnessing tool. Um, and you don't have to beat people over the head with theology. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people think that like that's what I try to do is beat people over the head with theology. It's really not. I mean, I'm just passionate about the truth, and and I and I want to see other people um, be passionate about what the Word of God has to say about these cherished things. So, um, you know, Matt Malinowski asks. He says, "How how does accountability look for you in in this as you've been working with people, especially in church history?" Um, listen, I'm, I'm like Mike, I'm not doing this thing, uh, perfectly. Like I'm not, I'm kind of like when you're a practitioner of these things and you're trying to put it into practice, a lot of it is you're, you try to have a plan in your mind, you put it down in paper and you put it into practice and then you realize, wow, this didn't really work or that did work and and this and that. So what does accountability look like? Well, I have found the most account, the, the best accountability I've had in discipling people, Um, You know, whether it's content over church history, systematic theology, biblical studies, or learning how to study the Bible or how to pray, um, I have found the best accountability happens in smaller groups. So um, to me, I think I think the lowest meeting one on one is okay. I think meeting one on or or like a three person group to like 10 for me, at least, is the best. And, And you can have accountability. You can build the build these relationships because ultimately um, you're doing this stuff in the middle of relationships. Like you can't divorce once you, once you make discipleship all about content transfer, then I think you're divorcing discipleship and making it into a school rather than Mm -hmm. the church as organism, which is, which is what we're called to do. Yeah. So, so I think Meredith's question is, you know, do we have a more programmatic way about formal or programmatic way? And um, I, we don't outside of like small groups and, and things of that nature. But um, I, I, I appreciate her sharing like what she does. Hey, do you want to read a book of the Bible together? Cause we often make discipleship more difficult than it has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, like we need to be the guru, you know, discipleship isn't about being someone's guru that has all the answers and contemplative thoughts. But the reality is it's just kind of growing together. And yeah, in some ways, you know, there's a more mature Christian. But uh, one thing that I think we need to also be careful of is, while every Christian should be discipling, Mm -hmm. um, we need to also be careful with that. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want someone who doesn't take their own discipleship seriously discipling someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, so when you get into programs and just saying, hey, go out there and do this, you know, without any type of, you know, training to say, hey, this is what discipleship is. This is what it looks like here. You can go do this. It's not that complicated. But just so you know, you need to take your own discipleship seriously. I think discipleship can be as simple or as complicated as you make it out to be, right? So like I've told people in my church, um, j- just sit down and read the Bible with someone. Like it's, it's really that, that easy. It's that simple. Um, yeah, we can integrate all kinds of other content, like what I just shared with those five topics or subjects, but ultimately, um, the most important thing you can do is just start doing it. And I, I have found organic approaches like people in the church, just gathering together outside of any formality to be the most productive and efficient way, Mm -hmm. because, 
people are going to take it more seriously, right? Because mm-hmm. and in large part, because they're going to have relationships through those means. Like we've had um, what we called life groups at my last church where, you know, we met every other week and, and um, we're going through scripture and it was just, it was a blessing of a time, man. I mean, we, we'd have sit down have dinner. Our kids were involved. It was, it was super, man. One of the best ministries I've ever done. Um, I find far more value in that than just giving a lecture. Um, mm-hmm. and, and listen, I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? Like that's what we do for a living is to, is to preach and to lecture and do all these things. Mm-hmm. But when you're sitting down and, and like actually saying like, Oh man, well, Hey, how do we navigate this truth with this situation in life? And you go, Holy smokes. I never even thought about that. Right. So let's, so let's work it out. And you're working out in real time with a group of people. Um, there's, that's a humbling experience. Um, but what I find very, very valuable there is that you're putting theology into practice and you're teaching people how to think about stuff, right? So you're not just telling them what to think. You're telling, you're teaching them how to think, which mm-hmm. is far more important. Yeah. Yeah. So Meredith asks a good question. So what do you do when you don't have enough leaders to go around? Does that make sense for, for discipleship? And I'd be like, I don't have an answer for that because <laughs> we're, we're, I think we're all in the same boat that we probably have more people needing to be discipled than people who are necessarily, you know, ready to mm-hmm. disciple or think they're ready to disciple. And so, you know, a, a local pastor here I was meeting with when we were kind of talking about our leadership teams and everything. And at some point you just have to, you know, recognize that you, you work with what you've got mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as you move along, hopefully things will, will mature and grow as you just try to be faithful with what you do have. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find a book on my bookshelf. <clears throat> there, there's a great, shoot, I can't even remember the author right now, but he, he talks about this. Like, what do you do if you say you're in a church of like 30 people or say it's 200 but the, the problem is that you don't have enough leaders, right? You can't just say, hey, Joe, go disciple two guys in the church, right? Um, you don't have that person that you can rely upon yet, either because you don't have the folks that are willing or that maybe they're not equipped. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. Equip them, right? So you find, so you find the two folks. Um, you find the two people that you think could be like the moths to the flame. That, that will buy into what you're teaching and then spend six to 12 months with them, mm-hmm. discipling them and model what you expect of them. So get into it and say, listen, what we're doing right now, what you both are going to do is to go find two other people in the church. And then you say the book may have been, may have fallen into my beard. What in the world? Okay. So um, you, you find those couple guys or gals, right. Um, and, and, so you get together on a weekly basis for six to 12 months and you say, listen, right up front, what I'm going to teach, what I'm walking you through, you need to go find two people, start praying about them about halfway through, um, pray for them and, and, and invite them into the same type of relationship. You do that. And you look three years down the line, you will have a congregation that is truly transformed by the word of God and the relationships that are built by it and through it. Um, that is the most, and I, I've been in my church for, for a couple of years now, and that's what I've kind of eased into. That's where I'm easing into where I'm getting together. Like right now, 
Um, I'm actually just switching from, I was working through with a couple guys, uh, Burkhoff's systematic theology. Um, no Grudem here. Take Grudem, put Grudem back on the shelf, light him on fire, um, do whatever. But um, go go find a, an actual good systematic theology. Uh, I'm I, We're transitioning over to um, Bavink's single volume, Wonderful Works of God. Going full Dutch the- theology, man. Um, so, so we're we're going through that, um, and then my anticipation is to hopefully at the end of that go, hey, what do you think about um, walking through this with somebody else, you mm. know, or some other people? And you do that for three to five years, dude. Your church, your church is going to be killing it. Mm-hmm. I, th- mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding about Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem actually, uh, his politics aside, he the systematic theology that he has is is good. Um, the problem that I have with with Grudem is that he believe he has he has an issue with the Trinity. So he make a great Advent Christian. Um, he believes in the eternal subordination of the Son. Um, so. Right, I would say Grudem is a, a good entry level way level to. I'll be honest to what systematic theology is, as he, he really breaks it down simply. But I wouldn't necessarily say he's the best overall, um, necessarily. But um, he's the so, most accessible. Maybe that's the the way to put it. He he's super accessible, but it, but if you're looking for accessibility, the the two books that I would highly recommend, in fact, are Concise Theology by J.I. Packer and Everyone's a Theologian by R.C. Sproul. And actually, read you can read both of them. I actually outlined how to how to walk through read both of them at the same time so that the stuff overlaps. And because you get stuff from them that the other um, doesn't doesn't include it's really helpful um and you're talking about two of the best theologians of the last 50 60 years uh so they're really good hey bickford i really appreciate your comment man um you know he says that he likes to make he and he does he likes to make fun of me for for constantly plugging my book which i haven't done in quite some time um but uh bickford actually uh has walked through with my first book um go with a small group of his and, and I, I appreciate his comments. Cause what he said to me was, Hey man, you don't say anything in the book that I didn't already know, but it was written in a way that the folks I walked, th- walked with it through, um, they didn't know. And it was very helpful. Um, so we got to disciple people, man. And we can't, we can't sit on our hands and bemoan the church or, or be upset because people aren't interested. Get them interested, put a finger in their chest, whatever you have to do. Listen, if you, if you claim to follow Jesus, take this stuff seriously. Um, you, you can't, you can't put everything on your pastor or the leaders of your church. You have to take your own walk with Christ and own it and take it seriously and, mm-hmm. and discipling yourself and discipling others. And that, and I view discipleship as I view, I view evangelism um, being encompassed in discipleship. You are, when you're doing evangelism, you are pre-discipling. You are trying to bring them to Christ. Um, so make disciples, man. Yep. Just do it. Nike. Yeah. Uh, what, what haven't we? Oh, dude, biggest thing. Cause I, Whenever I hear people talk about discipleship, I always I always want them to talk about this. 
it's a pilgrim faith. It is a pilgrimage. Uh, there is no end in sight. It is a journey that uh, it's a, your walk with Christ is a journey that will forever change you and you are forever being changed until he returns. So until your glorification, your, your discipleship never stops. There is no, mm -hmm. I made it right there. You've mm -hmm. never made it, so to speak. You're always walking. You're always learning. You're always engaging. This is a lifelong pursuit of Christ Jesus. No, no, not that I have already attained, but I press forward to the goal. That sounds like Paul in Philippians. Yeah. It mm -hmm. does sound like Paul. And in the in, correct me if I'm wrong, but when he says I'm pressing, when he in that passage, he's talking. He uses athletic language. There's an exercise that's going on. Like we are exercising our faith. We are like if you think of, I like to think of discipleship as us going to the gym. It's our gym membership. Like, okay, you can have your gym membership, but if you're not exercising there, then it's doing you no good. Yeah. Yeah. Meredith brings up probably the biggest thing that I wrestle with in, in our church is men that aren't readers. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, there are, uh, so there are a couple of, Trying to think of things I can say without uh, being a jerk, but there are other things, right? So, like what I tell what I tell people in my church is, get Audible, man. You can yeah. listen to books. You can um, most books that are worth reading are on Audible, although there some aren't. Um, you can get the Dwell Bible app, which is awesome, and you can listen to Bible reading, right? So you can listen to whatever the passage is. And here's something that I've begun to do for my sermon prep is I listen throughout the week the same passage on repeat, which is the passage that I'm preaching on. And it does a few things. It helps me pronounce the words correctly because I, I, I don't do that very well. Mm -hmm. um, but it also helps me understand the flow of the passage a lot better, hearing someone read it out loud other than myself because the Bible is meant to be read aloud. So, so there are other ways. You can send them YouTube videos and podcasts and all this other stuff. Um, but... If they, if someone says, and Mike, please push back on me if I'm being unkind. Okay. If someone says, listen, I don't read. You're like, okay, I'll send you some podcasts. Well, I don't really listen to anything either. Okay. Well, let me send you these audible books. Well, you know, I, I, I don't listen to anything. Well, how about these YouTube videos? Well, I, I, I don't really watch anything either. If you walk down all these things and are like, and they're rebuffing you at every freaking corner. It's like, you know what, man? I don't know that you're taking, if you're not taking your walk with Christ seriously, meaning that you're not willing to learn, then I'm, I'm gravely concerned for your soul. Mm -hmm. um, you have the God of the universe, the creator of all things. The author of your salvation has redeemed for you, reconciled you by the blood of his son, Christ. He's adopted you into his family, united you to your first brother. He calls you his bride and you say, nah, bro, I'm good. I don't need to really grow much from that. Then how has the gospel shaped you? Like how? In what way? Because you don't smoke and or drink beer anymore? Well, that is that has no foundation in scripture. So what now? Oh, you dress nice for church. Okay. So what? That doesn't mean a hill of beans if you're not willing to learn who Christ is. Mm -hmm. Get out of town with that logic, right? So what I've done, 
because I do have a lot of people that um, I know a lot of people that don't read a lot, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, what I've done is I try to find good articles. So instead of giving books, I'll give articles. I'll send them links to articles or I'll print articles out that are 500 to 2000 words, something that's easily digestible, 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 my goodness. Um, and work from there, right? So before I give someone a book, I'm going to give them articles to read or again, videos, um, podcasts, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. Was that, was I unkind with that? Did I go too far? No, you weren't unkind. You're passionate. Okay. And sometimes when we get passionate, people think we're being, we're angry or mad at them. No, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I, I just, I see the work of Christ in so many people, including myself. And, and I think the things of God are far more important than anything else in life. And I think there's a lot of important things in life, but they pale in comparison to knowing Christ and making his glory known in our lives and in the lives of others. And when people forsake that glory that is accessible for them to be in awe of, it frustrates me incredibly. Mm-hmm. Good point, Mark. <laughs> Peter and John were likely illiterate when they f- first followed Jesus, so we have no excuse. I appreciate what um, Meredith says Matt does. Um, she says that he texts guys throughout the week with scripture so that they can discuss about it. Man, that's awesome. That's a great that's idea. That's perfect. We man. need to get Matt on the show. Yeah, Matt, Matt's the man. Does he have facial hair? I, I haven't seen well, him. He doesn't, but, but he, can do, he can sit between us and maybe it'll rub off on him. Uh, I don't think that's how this works. Oh. Anyway. So I'm talking about facial hair. I was reading um, this morning um, in in Second Samuel. Uh, what was it? Chapter, chapter 10, I think. Chapter 9 or 10. And uh, so uh, the the Israelites go into, um, yeah. So was it, uh, I think, man, I can't remember anything today. Anyway, there to David sent, sent ambassadors on his behalf. And the person who received his ambassadors, um, was kind of jilted or upset and cut off half the beards of the Israelite, the, the, the Israeli ambassadors. And I was really upset about that. Understandably, understandably, because yeah. these things don't happen overnight. <laughs> they don't. They don't. Especially this man. This is like yeah, no, you, you, you've been working years on that baby. <laughs> it's probably been a year and a half, man. Um, hey, I appreciate what Josh has to say. He says, "Yo, so many men are passionate about beards, hockey, and cigars. What a shame." Uh, I wholeheartedly agree. When those passions overtake our passion for the Lord. Um, as the, as the great Spurgeon said, uh, after today's sermon, I will go home and smoke a cigar to the glory of God. Um, these things, I think these things, these passions, um, and I know he's just giving me a hard time, but I know like, like Josh, his family's involved in like mixed martial arts and stuff like that. Um, these are great gifts from the Lord. Right. And I think that God gives us these passions, even when it comes to punching people in the face. And and he says, use it for my glory. This is an opportunity for you to speak Christ into people's lives. Um, Luther would say that you that um, you are to be like Christ to people, like little Christ. 
And, and I think that wherever he sends us, that, that it's not a mistake that he does that for a reason. And that reason is to proclaim his glory and make his name known. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Meredith says that, that Matt is nope, baby smooth. So yeah, is that I, by choice or, or is he just like able to grow facial hair? I, I will say this about Matt, even though he's not bearded, he's the hairless one, but I, I will say he is probably one of the most understated pastors that I have, I have met and I, I appreciate him uh, very much. So in the more I get to interact with him. So we'll give him a well, you know, uh, you know, some pastors tend to vamp a little bit. I, I say I call some people, uh, and this is going to sound really mean. And so, all of my fellow pastors, please don't take this personally. But I find that pastors have a bit of a, what we call peacock syndrome, where they need to like when they get around people, especially other pastors, to like flare their feathers up to make themselves, uh, you know, stand out in the room a little bit more. You know, talk about this, that, the other thing, or you know, maybe even say we are doing this, whereas what they really mean is well, we've thought about doing this <laughs> type of stuff. And so uh, I'm not a huge fan of pastoral peacocking to make ourselves look better than we are. I, I tend to appreciate more wearing our weaknesses on our sleeves, so to speak. But That's good. I, uh, I'm trying to look for the book, man, that I was mentioning before. Maybe it is Lost in My Beard. I don't know where it's at. Maybe I gave it to someone. It's uh, Greg Ogden's book. I remembered who it was. Have, I, have I read anything of his? Greg Ogden. Um, I, I bet you a little, little snippet here. But that's the name super familiar. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's Maybe you actually threw that out instead of instead of Grudem. No, I got Grudem right here, man. Okay. You know, I like to engage with heretics. Uh, so, you know, I try to buy some of their works. Um, <laughs> I uh, I affectionately, ref- never mind. I'm not going to say that joke on this podcast. But no, Graham's a great brother, man. Uh, just, uh, just, if You struggle with that one, that, that piece of the what, eternal submission or whatever it is. I don't know much about the debate, so I can't say which way or the other. Yeah, so so uh, ESS is. We talked about it on an earlier, like one of our early podcasts. You probably weren't even listening by then. No, I probably was listening, but I was probably doing other things, and just didn't interest me at the time. So so it comes down to the the economic view of the Trinity, or mm-hmm. the um. Uh, so is is Jesus in the Holy Spirit functionally subordinate or ontologically? subordinate to god the father that's what the big question comes down to um although now that i've said that probably nathaniel will get on and correct me because i i wasn't that's a big word you threw out there ontologically like define ontologically i don't know what it means i just i just have heard it (laughs) 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 so so uh for so are they of the same substance or substance right and are they co-equal so in their very being in god's very being okay are 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 all three persons the same or or the um co-equal right so are they co-equal ontologically in their very being in their in in their in their essence of who they are or 
Yeah. So, so Grudem and those who, um, by nature, thank you, Bickford. Thank you. So by their very nature and the, the ESS folks, the eternal subs, uh, eternal subordination of the sun or uh, Luke likes to call it EFS functional subordination. Um, they, they view as, as they are, they are by nature subordinate to God, the father. So God, yeah. God, the son and God, the Holy spirit are, are by their nature subordinate to God, the father. Whereas the, uh, the Orthodox view Right, that's been held since three twenty, since before three twenty five A.D. has been that no, they're not by their nature different. Um, but the Son and the Holy Spirit have subordinated themselves. Have have in function in, in function in function only in the in the economic view of the Trinity. Okay, that yeah, yeah. With so, just just not thinking too much about it, I'd probably fall on the the Orthodox side. I, w- I would hope so. Um, yeah, because if not, I don't know how you don't get into kind of the modalism stuff to a degree. So, so they maintain not being modalists. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, you know, we can talk about this more um, at a different time. What I've actually learned, Mike, uh, is that uh, the non-Trinitarians I've talked to in our denomination are those who actually believe in the, the Grudem view, the eternal subordination. So that's, that's their struggle. That's their issue. And they also don't like the term Trinity because it's not in the Bible. However, if you don't like the term, if you don't like a term because it's not in the Bible, then you can't read an English translation um, because the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew. So um, by, by we that, want to become Muslim-ish and only read in the original language. Yeah, because it is doing a disservice to the word of God, the very word of so, God. So you he- heard it here first. Mike Alex, pastor of Waterville. Uh, is it Waterville Advent Christian Church? Blessed Hope Advent Christian Church, Blessed located Hope. in Waterville, Maine. Yep. So that one, that guy right there said it here first, that pretty much uh, those who reject the term Trinity on the basis of it not being in the Bible, in the scriptures, they're pretty much Muslim. Congratulations, Mike. That might be the most controversial thing said on this podcast, which is saying a lot. Comes and just started something. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Arianism. Thank you, Nathaniel. See, I've got my my uh, my heresies mixed up. Yeah, it, it's hard to keep track of, of them all because there's so many. <laughs> so uh, it was funny, man. So like, I remember. <laughs> Uh, Bickford was one of the guys I had read my, like, when I, you know, came to this church, I supplied them with a, a, uh, what is it called? Philosophy of ministry. And I was talking about the important in in there, the importance of, of pastoral education. And I said, I I think I phrased it. um, It's important for pastors to have an education and to lead in, in, doctrinal orthodoxy within the church because they have been um they know of all kinds of heresies something along those th- along those lines right and then it was either bickford or it might have been andy andy rice was like you realize what you said here was that 
pastors proclaim all kinds of heresies <laughs> instead of like knowledge of heresies to help trying to protect the church, which is what I meant. And uh, I was like, well, you know, some some pastors are full of heresy. So, um, you know what? I think we need to formally label Nathaniel our resident heresy and fact checker. He is. I. You know what? He is. I think the Bible the resident theologian. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and Barry, I, Daniel, I, I actually appreciate fact checkers, even though they might get on my nerves sometimes. I don't think we should be afraid of being fact checked on our information, whether it's Big Brother or anybody else. If we stand in the truth, then fact check me all you want. And by Big Brother, you mean ACGC, because that's who you referenced <laughs> earlier. <laughs> I'm going to regret that. I know. <laughs> Bible and banter stays on Bible and banter. <laughs> uh, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. <laughs> so, uh, can you make this private? Uh, I I can take down the video, but you know. <laughs> so so yeah. So we've talked about discipleship. We've talked about heresy. We've talked about Big Brother. We've talked about all kinds of things. We've talked about public school, which seems to be a, a common occurrence or reoccurrence in our uh, in our conversations. Um, but we sends so that stupidly, stupidly sends my kids to pub, pagan public school. Wait, who said it was stupid? I didn't say it was stupid. Well, I'm inferring. Uh, well, you're. I reject your inference because that's not <laughs> what I meant. Um, I I strenuously object to uh, the gentleman's assertion. No, dude, I think there can be a number of good and positive things that come out of out of um, public school. Um, but I think we at least have to understand what worldview, you know, can come out of, can come mm -hmm. out of there. So, you yeah. know, we just got to have the knowledge and, and make the best decision that's be that for our families. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you, Nathaniel, in, in yeah. many ways. And I appreciate your withholding. <laughs> I'm sure you also have trouble keeping up with how many things we get wrong. He's a, he's a merciful overlord. <laughs> I, uh, I was talking to All right. They've gone on long enough. <laughs> Time to do something. I was talking to somebody the other day because I'm taking an apologetics class. And um, so, so we have field-based assignments where we actually have to like do an apologetic on a, on a certain topic. And, and, so I was talking to someone. I only do it with friends and family that are that aren't Christian because at least I know, like, hey, they got to put up with it. So they were talking about, like, man, how can you believe in a God who's so, you know, who's so condemning? Like, you look at the Old Testament, you see how many times like He condemns, He punishes, He does all these things. And I liken it to Bickford right now. In how many times has God? And I said this to him. I didn't mention Bickford, but I said, "How many times have you withheld punishment from your kids? Is that not a means of grace and mercy? That's what God does. He shows His grace and mercy more by withholding His judgment, and then shows the the veracity and the ferocity of His judgment and power when He does um, when He does punish." And, and I'm just grateful that he continues in grace and mercy, um, it, which culminates in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Boom. Yeah. Wow. Yep. You know what? This I think this was a the best episode we've ever done, mostly because Luke wasn't here to disturb us. Um, so what's your record with him on uh, that little uh, game you got you guys play? 
Oh yeah. So for the so for those who don't know, Luke and I have been so Luke has purported himself to be like the boss when it comes to chess. Like I, he even said, um, his wife Lindsay, who's who's very kind, said, you know, this this is the first time uh, someone has beaten him in seven years that he knows, right? Personally, um, and I beat him like three times over the weekend. So in in. Uh, no, maybe four times. It was three or four times. In the first two times, I, I spanked that booty, man. <laughs> Dude, I took him out. I took him out behind the woodshed, man. And uh, <laughs> I, I beat him like a good child. Oh man! So, uh, so, <laughs> so. <laughs> So he was talking before we played, he had taught so much about how good he was at chess. And I literally have not played chess in 15 years, have not played chess in 15 years. And I was kind of like, Oh, okay, man. Like I'd rather play with you than play with anybody else. Cause I was assuming that he was going to destroy me, man. And, mm-hmm. and I was cool with it. Like I was putting myself out there. And um, so, so then I realized Luke wasn't as good at chess as chess as, as I thought he was, man, and he's good. He's he's really As good. Valedictorians would be. Um, yeah, I mean, but you know, uh, he's good. Not, I'm not as impressed as 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 I was prior to playing him. Let's just put it that way. So, uh, if you want an easy win in chess, um, you can you can go create an account on chess.com and and find Luke. And man, he dude, he's licking his wounds, man. Like, I. I met, I texted him the other day and I said, Hey man, are you ready for another game? And he said, no, not right now. <laughs> He's like, wait, what do you say? Uh, hold on. Let me find the text. Cause it, it was very disheartened. I cried for him. I really cried. Um, <laughs> but then laughed. I noticed so, he was not commenting much at all today. So I don't think he can even face you. On, maybe that's why he chose not to come on today. And, uh, and have me fill in. It's because he, he's still kind of wounded. I asked you guys before you started this, if, uh-huh. if when you started this, if chess was going to become an issue or I had to be an intermediary for you guys. No, it, you don't have to. It's not something that's divine. I just feel bad. You know, <laughs> he said, because uh, he asked me if I wanted to play a different style. Like, so we've been playing, like, you have as much time as you want to make a move, right? And then you wanted to play Blitz, where you have to, like, make a move immediately. And he said, you want to play Blitz? This was on, like, maybe Saturday. Um, he said, I think I've given up trying to beat you on slow chess. I said, nah, I've got to finish an apologetics paper. And he said, uh, and I said, you almost beat me last time. And I was trying to give him a boost, man. Try to help. You know, and he did. It was a lot closer game. He he did have a chance to beat me. Um, but he, he squandered his, his chances. And he said, give my ego a day to recover. I'm sure I'll be back for more. I'm a glutton for punishment. And I meant this when I said this next statement. I said, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to break your spirit. <laughs> now, give Luke credit where credit's due. This is what he said. And I and I respect him for this. He said, ha-ha, honestly, I'm thrilled about it. Whenever I find people who play, they're just not that good. <laughs> if I find someone with some talent, it's going to feel so good when I finally earn a win. No easing up either. I don't want any gimmies. Yeah. See, now, if there was a cribbage app that was similar to that, I'd be game. I am not a chess guy. Cribbage, what are you, 80 years old? Yep. Did you know that that's like the most popular game here around where I I live is cribbage? Cribbage? Cribbage. Why? 
it's me. <laughs> It's Maine. There's not much else to do. Um, <laughs> my daughter's tried to get me into Moncala. If you, I don't know if you've ever played. Oh, I love Moncala, dude. It's at first it seems so complicated, uh, but yeah, it, it does. But it's not. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anyway. Um. Yep. Yeah. Now, now we're just wasting people's time. We are. Well, we've got nine of them. They like their time wasted, apparently. <laughs> they just like me talking about Luke Luke's inability to play chess. Devin nicely, however. So get this, man. So Devin, who who writes a lot for Ever Christian Voices, particularly yeah. in apologetics, very yeah. good guy. Good um, yeah, uh, I think he beat me. Or no, we drew. He didn't beat me. We drew. I think. If he did beat me, he might have. I don't know. Um, which which I really appreciated because now I got to rub that in Luke's face. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. All right, man. Well, I uh, I hope you have a good week. Hey, you too. Hopefully, if there are any difficulties you're encountering in ministry, that the Lord helps you endure and, and wade your way through them. Through Christ, I can do all things. Hey, nice pen. Hey. Not the same, but kind of. Uh, mine has my name on it. Oh, that's cool. I, I, uh, I, my mother-in-law got my A high schooler in my church turned this for me as a pastor appreciation gift in October. Mm -hmm. Cool. Anyway. All right, man. Well, right. God bless you guys. Hey, next week, um, we have a very special episode. We will have special guest Dr. Mark Wolfington on dr mark wolfington who is uh the family some reasonableness on this show dude he's, professionalism. he's quick-witted um yeah. no i appreciate he, his comments he can he can hang he also sent me this book that i haven't started reading yet because it's really long and i and it's um, about the the foundations or the origins of aurora college ah aurora University. my question is do you have something in there that looks like a bookmark to make it look like you started reading it and made some progress or yeah i do um but that was just a putting a because he sent me also a uh something about aurora university hey, was it asking for money uh hold on i didn't look was it the fifth was it the fifth sunday um offering no he didn't ask for money. no and that's no offense to, to, to aurora no, yeah. no, no, that's not Aurora is not the fifth Sunday, but they do have an Aurora Sunday that we still get, get stuff. Get well, I, I appreciate the free gift, Mark. Um, yeah. and I look forward to reading at some point, maybe, maybe at some point between my, uh, I graduate like middle to late summer with my master's degree that I'm pursuing a, uh, a demon. So maybe after that, so it might be a couple of years, but so we'll see. And it's at a special time. What time is it? Do you know what time we're going to have the show next week? No, I didn't even know he was coming until uh, yesterday when you guys texted. Oh, okay. Sometime I, I, sometimes I think you guys do things outside, but that's okay. I'm just more of a fill-in. I'm a straw man. No, you're not a fill-in. Listen, you are my, um, my favorite co-host in the Northeast. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So God bless you guys. Take care. We will see you next time. We're just not sure what time that's going to be. <laughs> <laughs>